such a good crowd, lots of energy, I love it. Uh, that number two, by the way, that, this is the book that uh, I grew up with, and number two was my song, like on, on whenever they let the, the kids lead singing, you know, I led number two every time, so uh, it has very many fond memories for me. Uh, there's a little boy that overheard two men talking about their dogs, and one of them was a setter, and the other was a pointer. And when he got home, he asked his dad if his dog was a pointer or a setter. And he said, well, son, one's, he's a disappointer and an upsetter. That's what he said. So, Anyway, today we're going to talk about uh, how disappointing Jesus was. Uh, which is an unusual topic. It's not the way we usually think about Jesus. Uh, when our parents say to us, don't disappoint me, what do we do? We try hard not to disappoint them, right? We say, all right, we're going to church today. Be on your best behavior. Don't disappoint me. And they'll try their best, right, children? Or when our boss at work says, I'm really counting on you for this, Don't let me down. Don't disappoint me. We don't want to disappoint people, right? It's something that we strive hard not to do. We don't want to let people down. We don't want to disappoint people. And many sermons have been preached on how wonderful Jesus is. Uh, But in this sermon, we're going to consider the Jesus who disappointed people. How often we must disappoint Jesus with our sins. But we're going to discuss how he disappointed others. First, we're going to start with the fact that he disappointed his own race, right? I find it interesting how God sent Jesus in the way that he sent them, sent him. He sent him not to a rich family, not to a king. He sent him to a poor family, to an unwed mother at the time, a virgin, and They were going to have to move. They started out in Bethlehem. They were going to have to go flee to Egypt. They're going to have to then move to Nazareth. Uh, They're poor. They have to to do all of this. And what is also interesting to me is the place where God put his people and where Jesus came. It's it's called the land between. Israel is the land between. It's right in the Middle East on the Mediterranean. And it kind of touches Africa, it touches the Middle East and Asia, and then it touches Europe. It's a place in between. And Jesus was not, you know, he's often depicted uh, as a white man, sometimes he's depicted as a black man, but Jesus was actually uh, olive-skinned, probably, and he kind of belongs to all of us, right, because he was born in the land between. And... His people, the Jews, were a proud people. They were the chosen race, as they called themselves. And Jesus came as a Jew, and his own people rejected him. John 1.11 said his own received him not. And 6.15 says they wanted to come and forcibly make him a king, right? They, they came and they were so impressed with his miracles and his teaching that they wanted to make him a king. And they were going to come and forcibly do that. And what did he do instead? He retreated 
by himself to the mountains, so they could not forcibly make him a king. And then, by John 7 and verse 1, he says he could no longer walk in jewelry, is how it puts it. He couldn't walk among the Jews because the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. I would say that he disappointed his own people. The Jews were disappointed in his teaching and in his actions, right? In Luke 5 and verse 30 and following, he teaches a parable about the good Samaritan, right? Well, in in the Jews, what are you talking about? There are no no good Samaritans, Uh, but the Samaritan is the hero, hero of that story, right? And the the Levites, the priests, they're, they're the villains in the story. The best of the Jews are the villains while he makes a Samaritan the hero. The Jews were disappointed even at his compliments. Oftentimes people would invite him over for dinner or question him or talk to him and they were really looking for a compliment, weren't they? They were really wanting the great teacher who's doing these miracles. They wanted him to say, Uh, Well done, you're doing a good job. And yet, instead, Jesus often complimented others that they would not expect. In Matthew 8, and verses 5 through 13, we read about a centurion who came to him, asking him to heal his servant. And he says, "You, you don't even have to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, and I know you're a man of authority. You can heal him from here. Just say it, and it'll be so. And what does Jesus say? He says, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. Well, how do you think the Jews felt? Here he's complimenting their oppressor, right? This Roman centurion instead of them. They did not care for that. And in John 6, 41 through 43, the Jews murmur at him because he said that he is the bread that came down from heaven. And he told them to stop murmuring. He even disappointed them at his death. In John 19 and 19 and following, we find that no one wanted to be near him during his trial. Peter wanted to get close enough to see what's going on, but even Peter denies him. And the Jewish leaders were especially upset that the the Pilate, the Roman uh, governor, wrote King of the Jews on the sign above his cross. He said, don't don't write that he's king of the Jews. Write that he said that he claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate said, I've written what I've written. But even at his own death, the Jews were disappointed in him. So he disappointed his own race. Jesus also disappointed his own family. His brothers in the flesh did not even believe in him. In John 7, 3 through 5, they talk about him needing to go out and be open about uh, all of this that he's doing. There's no man that doeth anything in secret, uh, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show yourself to the world, they say. And he said, and it says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. His own brothers did not believe in him. He was a disappointment. Jesus expected his followers to put the Father's will before their own families. And, and their interests. In Matthew 10, 36 through 37, it says, A man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy 
of me. And he illustrated this in Matthew 12 in his own life when his mother and his brothers come and they're trying to really stop him from teaching and performing miracles and it's attracting a lot of attention. They're disappointed in him. And his reaction is, who are my mother and my brothers? He says, these, these are, not those that are trying to stop me, the ones that I'm teaching, my disciples, they are my mother and my brothers. So Jesus disappointed his own family. Third, Jesus disappointed his own disciples. He disappointed some with his hard sermons. In John 6, uh, 61 through 68, he teaches some hard teaching, and they are disappointed. They are upset at, at what he has taught them. They don't understand what he's trying to get across, and many of them leave him. They are so disappointed in Jesus that they leave and no longer follow him. And he asks the ones who stay, are you going to depart too? And they say, where would we go? You have the words of life, right? He disappointed his disciples who wanted him to discipline others. I've always found this uh, to be an interesting story. They are going through Samaria uh, many times the Jews would go around it. So if they're traveling from the north and they're going to Jerusalem, they will go around Samaria. But Jesus says we're going to go through Samaria and go ahead and prepare the way for us. And the Samaritans say, we don't want you here. We want you to go away. We're not going to allow you to stay here. And uh, we're not going to prepare food for you and, and things like that. And some of his apostles say, would you like us to rain down fire on the Samaritans uh, in Luke 9, 51 and following? They were ready to punish the Samaritans for not uh, preparing the way for Jesus as he's going and traveling to Jerusalem. And what does Jesus answer? No, we're not going to rain down fire on them for not making dinner for us and letting us stay at their hotel. We're not, we're not going to do that. Uh, I guess they wanted to see something like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They were wanting to see this and, and punish these people for not doing what they thought they should do. And uh, Jesus says, no, he disappoints them. And even in his death, he disappointed the apostles and his disciples and those that are following him. Look at Acts chapter 1. This is after the resurrection. He is about to ascend to heaven. And Acts chapter 1, verse 6 says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it, did they? They were still looking for this earthly kingdom and for him to cast off Roman oppression and, and establish Israel as the kingdom forever. But he disappointed them in that. On occasion, Jesus disappointed even the faithful apostles, even men like Peter, even men like Paul. He disappointed them. In Matthew 16, 21 through 23, it reads, From that time forth began Jesus to show them unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. I always find it interesting. I don't think we often realize that he was plainly teaching to them, look, I'm going to go and they're going to abuse me and then they're going to kill me and then I'm going to be raised 
on the third day. It must have been disappointed to Jesus at the resurrection when no one was there to greet him, for he taught them plainly that he would be raised on the third day. But the next verse says, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Can you imagine? One of your apostles here is rebuking Jesus, the perfect Jesus. He has disappointed them in in this saying that he said he's going to be abused and killed. And Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. I'm rebuking you. But he turns and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And he disappointed Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. talks about the thorn in the flesh that Paul had. We don't know exactly what that was, but we know he didn't care for it, right? He called it a thorn in the flesh, and it must have been very difficult for him to deal with, and he asked multiple times for himself to be healed from it. But Jesus says, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. So he disappointed Paul in that request. He said no to his prayer. And then we've seen that he's disappointed his race, he's disappointed his family, he's disappointed some of the disciples. He also disappointed the religious leaders of his day. In John two fourteen through 17 and in Matthew 21, 12, and 13, and in the parallel passages, he's twice chasing the money changers and the vendors out of the temple. He confronted the corruption that was in the Jewish leadership. The religious leaders of the day had allowed all of these vendors to be there and these money changers who were stealing from the people. They had to give a certain coin, uh, a shekel of tire, because that's the only coin that was pure enough in silver to be given at the temple. And so you had to change your money to that. Well, they kind of had a monopoly on that money changing And so they would overcharge for you to do that, and then you would turn around and put it in the collection, right? And then they would collect those up and take them back to the money changers and collect their fees. It was a racket. They had, uh, it was really much like the mafia right here, the way they had this set up. And then they would overcharge for sacrifices. If you brought your sacrifice to the temple, uh, it had to be inspected by the Jewish leaders. And they would say, okay, you leave your lamb here. We will inspect it, and we'll get back to you on it. You come back in a few hours. When you come back, they said, oh, your lamb was found lacking. But we've got a lamb that you can buy instead. Right? That's the kind of things that were going on, and the Jewish leaders were complacent in that. And Jesus disappointed them greatly by overturning the money changers and chasing those men out of the temple, saying, don't make my house my father's house, a den of thieves. He condemned their false teachings. In Matthew 15, 8 through 9, he said, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Right? His popularity with the people infuriated them. You look at, at passages like John seven thirty two, And the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Now, it didn't work there. They came back and they said, well, never a man has spoken like this man. But he was disappointing these religious leaders. They were not looking for this type of thing from the Messiah, right? They were looking for someone to commend them and to build them up. 
and they were jealous of his popularity. So he also disappointed the religious leaders of his day. Jesus also disappointed curiosity seekers. You think if you had a time machine and you could go back to any point in history and see anything, what are some of the things you would like to see? Well, certainly there's some points in history I'd like to see, but wouldn't you love to go back and watch Jesus perform a miracle? Be part of the, the crowd of 5,000 plus that he fed? I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Well, there were many at his day who wanted to watch him perform miracles, right? And he didn't perform miracles to draw a crowd or to make things more interesting. In Matthew 12, 38 through 39, it says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. The idea here is his resurrection will be the sign. And it's interesting, too, he has just fed the 5,000, and then he goes over, and then they demand to see a sign. Isn't that interesting? Right? Uh, that was a neat trick. Show us another trick. Right? That's, that's kind of what they're saying. And he is disgusted and upset with them, and he disappoints them. You know, it's interesting, too, in Luke 23, verses... 8 and 9, Jesus is in the midst of his trial, and Pilate sends him to Herod. And it says, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly exceeding glad, right? He was excited to see Jesus, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him, nothing. This is the same man that cut off the head of John, the baptizer. Jesus, I I think in all of the trials and all of the difficulties that Jesus faced approaching his death, this would have been very difficult for him. He has to go before this disgusting creature, Herod, who has killed John and has done all kinds of despicable things. And what what does Herod say? Do a trick for me, right? I want to see a miracle. And Jesus stands in silence and answers him nothing. Herod must have been very uh, disappointed. He only performed signs in order to prove his own divinity, to prove the things that he was saying were true. So if he said, your sins are forgiven... And they said, this man doesn't have the power to forgive sins. He says, oh, also stand up and walk to a lame man. It's confirming through God's power that he has the authority to forgive sins and that he is who he said he is. So he disappointed curiosity seekers. And then sixth, Jesus disappointed self-promoters. Jesus disappointed one who asked him to make his brother divide an inheritance with him in Luke 12, 13 through 21. Instead, he teaches a lesson to him on covetousness and told the young man that life doesn't consist of things, right? It's in the way that we live. It's in the difference between making a life and making a living, right? That our life doesn't consist of things. 
He disappointed the mother of Zebedee's children, who wanted her sons to have places of honor. She said, set one of my sons up as the right at your right hand and one up in, at your left hand in, in your kingdom. He disappoints her. He says, the one that's last shall be first. He disappointed those who were expecting another free meal, right? After he fed the 5,000 and then he fed the 4,000. In John 6, 26, they wanted him to do that again. They were wanting him to do more of that. Philippians 3, uh, 18 and 19 covers that. It says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Right? And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They followed him because he could feed the masses. Many of them were following him for that reason instead of for the right reason. And so he disappointed them. And he disappointed the rich young ruler. Uh, This young man wanted compliments from Jesus, not a lesson in loving money. But the rich young ruler would probably have done most anything else that Jesus asked him to do, but he tells him to sell what he has, give it to the poor, and follow him. And it says he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. He had a lot of stuff. And his life was wrapped up in that stuff. And Jesus asked him to set that aside and follow Jesus instead. Many of us are like him. We like our stuff. I like my stuff, right? But stuff is going to all burn away when the world is destroyed. And even the elements will melt. What's important is our eternal salvation. Today, Jesus is still disappointing anyone who will not assume self-denial and follow him. That's Luke 9, 57 and, and following, where it says, As they were going along the road, someone t- said to him, I, follow, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Right? It's hard to go forward and plow a straight row if you're looking backwards, right? You've got to look forward, not looking back to the life that we left behind. So for all of these people that Jesus disappointed, there was one who he never disappointed, and that is the Father. Jesus never disappointed God the Father. In Luke 2.52, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He continued to gain favor with God as he grew. That's him when he was 12, and he was confounding the doctors of the law by asking questions and they were amazed at even his answers right but then he grew in favor with god and then matthew 3 13 through 17 is at his baptism and god says this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased luke 
adds a detail in Luke 3.21 is that when he comes up out of the water, he's praying. And then in Matthew, it says he immediately came up out of the water. The reason those details are there is because when we see in Matthew uh, what's going on there is John is baptizing. They will be baptized. As they come up, the people will be confessing their sins. They were saying, I've done these things, I'm repenting of it, and I'm turning away from it. Well, at Jesus' baptism, he doesn't do that. He immediately comes up out of the water, he begins praying, and God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's very different than what was going on. That's why those details are there. Because Jesus had no sins, right? He had no sins to confess. His baptism was about showing salvation. And he says as much to John when John wants to refuse to baptize him. He says, I I should be baptized of you. And he says, you've got to let this be so because this is the same thing as salvation. I am showing salvation. Uh, it's It's a very interesting passage. And then in Matthew 17, 5, at the transfiguration, there's Moses and Elijah and Peter saying, we should build tents for, the, for these guys, right? And God says, this is my beloved son in whom I will please. Hear ye him. Right? He is greater than Moses, the, the great lawgiver. He is greater than Elijah, the great prophet. He is Jesus, the Christ. And he never let God the Father down. He never disappointed him. There's one more group that Jesus will disappoint. And that's in Matthew 7, and verses 21 through 23. It is not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And he will disappoint them, and he will say, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Some will learn on that day that not all religious people will be saved. Not all good people will be saved, because sin has separated all of us from God, and we have to have the blood of Christ, in in order to be saved. Some will learn that it takes more than a belief in the Bible and in Jesus to be saved. James 2.24 says that we're not just justified by faith, we're justified by faith and works, right? Some will learn that not all baptized people will be saved. Revelation 3.5 says that your name can be in the book of life, and be blotted out. It's possible to be saved and then to fall away and to have your name removed from the book of life. Not all baptized people will be saved. You have to remain faithful until death. And some will learn that not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the passage we just read there in Matthew 7, but it's those who do the will of the Father. Jesus will never disappoint us if we look to him for the right things. Jesus never disappointed the Father because he did the will of the Father in coming to die in our place 
after living the perfect life and being the perfect sacrifice, the propitiation, right? The substitute sacrifice for us. He will never disappoint in that. He will only disappoint us if we are looking to him for the wrong things. And we need to be less concerned with Jesus disappointing us because he will never let us down in what matters. We need to be concerned with us disappointing him. So this morning, have you put on Christ in baptism? Are you living for him? Have you counted the cost? There are some people that you may have to disappoint. You know, we talked at the beginning how we don't like to disappoint people, right? We don't like to disappoint our our parents. We don't like to disappoint our boss. We don't like to disappoint our, our coaches and our friends. But sometimes you have to disappoint people for Christ. You have to count the cost when you put on Christ in baptism and you're going to live for him. You have to stop living for the world. You're going to be different. You're going to come into conflict with the world. No matter how peaceably we try to live, there's going to be conflict with the world. That's part of the cost of living for Christ. Have you done those things? Have you put on Christ in baptism, but you've fallen away? You're no longer walking in the light as he is in the light. You've let sin creep into your life. Do you need to confess those things? Repent, turn away from it. And we will pray with you and for you. If either one of those is the case for you uh, this morning, come and make it known uh, as we stand and as we sing.